You're listening to The Science of Storytelling, presented by Pressboard, a show about marketing, media, and the people making it happen. Your host is Jared Grimm. Today is a very special episode of The Science of Storytelling. We are welcoming our very first, but hopefully not the last, Australian guest onto the show. Her name is Liana Dubois, and she's the director of Powered at Nine. Nine is Australia's largest media company. This episode is absolutely packed with good stuff. A crash course in the Australian media landscape, an inspirational list of visionary marketers, and a really unique story about why opening someone else's mail can change your life. So if you like this episode, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. Now, enjoy the show. Liana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. So I've been excited about this episode for a couple of reasons. This is our 25th episode of the Science of Storytelling podcast. So you are our silver anniversary guest. I think it's the silver anniversary is the 25th. Oh, how amazing. And congratulations to you. And well, and you're also our very first Australian guest. So uh, I think overall, I was looking at our podcast stats the other day and something like 85% of our audience is in North America, but we'll have a few new Australian listeners, I imagine, once this episode airs. And I have a, I have a close connection to Australia. I'm going to pretend that I did so much research on this episode that I sent my sister and my brother-in-law to Australia because they actually live in Melbourne. So I've been peppering them for the last week or so, asking questions about, you know, what Australia's media business is like. And so I do have, I have some family in Australia right now as well, but welcome, welcome to our Australian listeners as well. Well, absolutely. And it's, I'm absolutely thrilled to be your very first Australian attendee. So thanks so much for having me on. And it's, it's nice to know that you have family in Melbourne. I'm sure they've been sharing with you how thrilled they would be to be out of uh, official lockdown now and being able to get back to some semblance of, of well, normal-ish life. Well, you can imagine. So they left a couple of years ago to do this adventure in Australia. And two years ago was very different than today. So, so far, they have been through, you know, the Australian bushfires, mm. a global pandemic that... Mm-hmm. That was very close to Australia when it started. I remember my sister texting me saying, like, it's crazy. Like, we're in lockdown and it hadn't hit North America yet. So I was like, oh, weird. That's going to be challenging for you guys. And then two weeks later, it came to North America. And then she got pregnant and they had their third kid while in Australia, while in lockdown this summer. So they've had quite the adventure there. I doubt it's the normal two-year Australian getaway that they probably expected at the first step. Yeah, I imagine so. Well, congratulations to her for having a third little bundle of joy. Hopefully, uh, hopefully as things start to return a little bit, they'll be able to get outside and roll their toes in the grass and do all of those great things that Australia is, you know, explore an, an absolutely beautiful country that Australia is known for. But we have had a little bit of a rough trot the last, uh, certainly the last 12 to 18 months in particular. You know, Australians are pretty resilient and we uh, we keep soldiering on. We're, we're, we feel pretty fortunate and pretty lucky generally. Hmm. And you're the head of Powered. So getting to the Australian, I'm less familiar with the Australian media landscape. So I'm hoping that maybe you can tell me a little bit about Powered, and Powered is a studio of Nine. Maybe you can give our listeners an overview of how Powered sits within Nine and how Nine sits within the Australian media universe. Yeah, for sure. So Powered is essentially a 
marketing solutions division for brands for advertisers. It is an in-house unit inside Nine, which is one of or actually the largest uh, publisher in Australia. So Nine is a content data and technology company with media channel assets that span television, digital, radio, and also print or publishing. And Powered really is an in-house capability to be able to unlock all of the power and potential of our content data and technology for brands and for advertisers. Powered's kind of philosophy, what what sits at the heart of everything that we do is uh, we are here to realise big ideas that make advertising famous. And the reason that that is uh, that our philosophy is is because we real we we believe that creating fame in brands or for brands and with brands is how you make them memorable. And obviously, when it comes to advertising impact and getting a consumer to think, feel, and do something as a result of what the advertiser is communicating, you need to be memorable and you need to build memory structures in their in their minds. So that's, you know, a big part of the reason that we have that philosophy, but also, uh, you know, the idea of realising big ideas. In actual fact, one of the most important words in that phrase is, is, the, is the word realising uh, because what Powered uh, does is helps enable ideas that can come from anywhere. So some ideas that we, that we cook up for advertisers are absolutely cooked up in-house from our creative thinkers and our strategic geniuses. But in actual fact, we work with a lot of advertisers, their creative agencies, their media agencies uh, to realise ideas that come from them. Uh, and we essentially help to break down any barriers, uh, remove any, you know, any walls that might exist to be able to really push the boundaries of marketing, media and advertising here in Australia. So I'm curious because Nine, which is a large, like you mentioned, I think you said it's the number one media company in Australia. And it's it's called Nine because of where, traditionally, because of where it sits on the TV dial. Is that right? Well, yeah. Nine is Australia's largest media organization. Uh, and, you know, that's come about probably only quite recently in the last two years because of mergers and acquisitions activity. Uh, but Nine was actually born originally way back in 1956, uh, just as a television network. And it was called Nine because, yes, that was the number that was relevant to the TV dial. And then kind of the evolution of Nine since 1956, uh, as I said, is, you know, Nine's, Nine's been on a really significant journey of, of evolution, transformation and diversification. And so Nine now has not only television uh, channels, of which we have uh, five, but we also have digital assets, a very, very large digital ecosystem. Uh, and we also have radio assets in AM or talk radio and our publishing assets. So in, the, in kind of two years ago, uh, Nine merged with another um, significant, you know, uh, media publisher here in Australia, one of the, uh, the oldest and most well-respected media organisations in Fairfax Media, and that's essentially what brought those publishing assets uh, in-house. And then most recently, just in December of last year, we merged uh, or acquired Macquarie Radio, uh, and so that's how those radio assets were, were kind of brought in-house. So, you know, Nine very much now is what we kind of call a, a full funnel, I suppose, full funnel marketing platform that's really able to, you know, right at the top of that funnel, build great brand awareness and pour new customers into the top of the funnel for brands and advertisers. And then as they journey through that funnel, you know, we have uh, great performance 
and uh, digital attribution capability all the way down to the bottom of the funnel in terms of conversion and performance. So it's quite an extraordinary business to work within. It is really interesting though um, because one of the one of the most powerful things about Nine is actually its its own brand. So in Australia, the brand of Nine is one of the largest and most recognisable uh, and oldest uh, brands in the country. And it's known and loved and respected by the Australian population. But it's also a bit of a double-edged sword, to be honest, because its legacy was born out of television. Uh, it can often, you know, kind of uh, follow us around that, that in, in some corners of town or with some agencies or advertisers, Nine can often uh, just quite subconsciously be considered as a one-dimensional television business when, in fact, it's not been for for quite some years now. So it's a really interesting, for all the brand, for any, any brand marketers out there, it's it's actually a really interesting dynamic for us because whilst on one hand there is so much power in the brand of Nine, uh, you know, the, the re-education and, you know, getting the evolution and the transformation on, uh, of Nine heard and clearly understood is is an ongoing journey for us. It's like being a child star. Like if you're a child star in a movie, how do you ever <laughs> become typecast? You're well known for this. I'm watching Cobra Kai with my kids right now. And I rewatched Karate Kid. And I was like, these, look, they're doing the same thing now, but they've done other stuff in between. It's just really hard when you're so well known for one thing to be able to. But it is also because that brand is so strong. I imagine that the TV advertisers love that they I imagine there's a lot of inbound deals that come in because of that now I think there's something I think it's funny we'll see and I think our North American audience might think it's funny you probably don't notice it but what was the name of the company that you were at before you were at nine network 10 yeah so it's it's called 10 yeah and then the other so this is what I got from my brother-in-law I said hey can you tell me a little bit about the media landscape he said well there's three private broadcasters 10, 9, and 7. And I thought he was joking because it's it makes sense because of where they fell on the dial, but it is uniquely Australian media, whereas in North America, they're all named like NBC and all these things. And even in the UK, they might have a couple like BBC One, BBC Two, Four. Uh, but it's very unique in Australia that these media companies have this really prominent name for where they sat on the dial. And I believe it's also another thing that's different in Australia than in North America is that most of these private broadcasters are free to air. Like you can pick them up with an antenna, I believe. Is that true? Yeah, that is correct. They are also, so linear terrestrial TV can just be picked up via an antenna. And that's what we define as free-to-air broadcasting. But the, all the free-to-air broadcasters have been through digital transformation uh, over the last decade. And so you can now also live stream uh, or catch up on all of that same channel content through internet-connected uh, televisions or obviously through your portable devices like iPads and iPhones and the rest. But yeah, I didn't. I, I probably didn't appreciate how unique our naming conventions were. I, I guess in Australia we like to keep things simple, and 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 you know things do what they say on the tin. Probably is the is the best explanation of that. Well, I think there's. So I'm Canadian, Commonwealth country there with, with Australia, and there's a lot of similarities I find between Canada and Australia, other than being Commonwealth countries and having the Queen on some of the some of the money still. Uh, but one thing is unique is that there'll be country-specific iterations of something that may have been born out in, in the U.S. 
Uh, one example that I'm familiar with is Stan in Australia. I think that's relatively unique. I, I wasn't familiar with it because I don't believe that we can get Stan in Canada or in the U.S. And that leads to, because that's streaming, I believe, maybe you can speak a little bit to what Stan is within that nine media uh, portfolio as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Stan is our subscription video on demand proposition. So it is very, very similar to a Netflix, with the exception that to your point, it is geo-blocked to Australia. And so it is not readily available internationally. But Stan essentially was part of Nine's diversification strategy uh, as we look to what the future of content and video content in particular would look to be. And so Stan has, uh, you know, a very different content strategy to Nine. Obviously, you know, binging content on a subscription, uh, binging content on a subscription platform has a very different consumer behavior uh, and a very different audience trend to what, say, Nine's experience of live, linear or ter- ter- terrestrial or free-to-air, whatever you want to call it, uh, has. So, you know, Stan has a, a very unique content proposition here in Australia, uh, it's creating its own content. Uh, it's actually it actually works in partnership with international studios uh, quite a bit uh, to develop unique content propositions here for for Australia. And then obviously it's purchasing content uh, either from local distributors here or, or also internationally. But think of it very very similarly to to a Netflix. And you know it's hugely successful here in Australia. The fact that it's called Stan uh, probably is another Australianism. Um, to, to give it a, to give it a person's name, to make it feel a little more, uh, you know, a little human and, and kind of in keeping with, uh, you know, Australia's kind of love of people and, and connection and those sorts of things. But, uh, yeah, it, it, Stan is essentially part of Nine's diversification strategy. Yeah. Well, when I was doing some research around, around Nine, that's what I kept finding was you just keep, it's an onion, you keep peeling and there's something else. There's these radio stations and then there's this, publishing arm and there's a tv station a linear station and streaming and then powered sits in a way as a hub within this for for advertisers i imagine what's it like to have that playground or or access to all of these different areas that must make it complicated in some ways to pitch to a to an advertiser but also freeing in that you have all these opportunities yeah, absolutely. I think that is a really good way of looking at it. I mean, from an internal point of view, for anybody who's working inside Powered and who has this vast playground, as you called it, of toys, you know, to, to, to play with, it's incredibly exciting and no two days are the same. And we have an extraordinary opportunity to speak to, you know, different audiences in different ways at different times for the benefit and for the exploitation of the brand that we're working with. So in that way, for, for, you know, somebody who's passionate about content creation for advertisers and advertising generally, it's incredibly exciting and, and, you know, almost some days a little overwhelming to choose which toys to play with. But, you know, what our, what our role is for advertisers in an external sense when we're working with them is to really simplify what could potentially be a complex beast and help them navigate it. So, you know, we often talk about Powered as being a lighthouse for advertisers because, you know, we have an acute understanding of our audiences, of all of our media and channel assets, uh, and the way in which we can help a brand tap into those things. So we just try to strip out all of the complexities and help them navigate and kind of shine a light for them on the way through. So you you have this great role at this great department within a great media property. Was this 
always your life plan was, you know, growing up with this always the plan I'm going to be in media. I'm going to, I mean, branded content studios weren't around when we were kids. No, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what did the path look like? Great, great question. So no is the short answer, but given this is a podcast, I'll extrapolate that answer out a little bit for everybody. This was certainly not where I saw myself. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go back in time for a minute if you don't mind me sharing an old story. But uh, so, so back in the late 90s, uh, I was studying marketing in Brisbane, which is one of our cities here in Australia, where I where I lived most of my life. And uh, as you do at that particular age in your life and that, that particular particular stage in your life, I was living in a share house, a rented share house with a bunch of girlfriends uh, from from high school, and that you know we were kind of all studying at university and things. And uh, because we were tenants, obviously at renters, there had been prior tenants in the house in which we lived in. And as you do sometimes in that setting, we often used to receive mail to the house that was clearly that of the prior tenants. And I, I realized I should probably be careful because I think it's actually an offense to open other people's mail. But I did one day open uh, some mail that had arrived for clearly the prior tenants, which were trade, trade publications uh, here in Australia. So there's two, there were two particular trade publications that arrived to the house this day. One was B&T and one was Ad News, um, which are still, you know, really significant trade publications here today in Australia. And I, I opened them up, uh, as I should not have done. And as I was reading through, you know, reading all about marketing, media and advertising, I just, and studying marketing at the time, I, I just got hooked. Uh, and I loved everything that I saw and read in there. And to be honest, at that point, it sort of started me thinking that, that possibly headed in, heading into creative agencies was where I probably would want to, would want to be because I love the creative pursuit and I believe in the power of creativity to propel businesses forward. But that isn't what happened. I, I landed, uh, well, I started out in radio in Brisbane in marketing and, and promotions. And then I decided to move to the big smoke, which was Sydney here in Australia. And uh, I landed in a media owner, as which you brought up before, which was Network 10. So I landed in a, in a television network in a sales role, and then I never looked back. And I've worked in a, you know, a vast array of roles across 10 and, and 9, you know, whether that's sales roles, whether it's strategy roles, uh, you know, sponsorship and assets, uh, and now, obviously, in this uh, in this in-house capability that Powered has, but it's certainly not the life that I planned for myself. But I'm kind of glad that I didn't, because rolling with the punches seems to have worked pretty well. Well, isn't it interesting how this one thing can happen, and there's this why in the road that, that I had a similar experience with a so ad age, advertising age is one of the industry publications in the U.S. And I think at like 17 or 18 years old, I was a subscriber. By 17 or 18, I was a subscriber to AdAge because I just loved the industry. And then the first job I had was in, I thought I was going the creative route as well. I couldn't draw, but I, I just pictured myself, I don't know, sitting in a room and conjuring up these ideas and then holding up large placards of what this <laughs> design looked like. Uh, and I took a different path as well. But I, I, I'm curious, like if the previous tenant was getting Architecture Digest. I wonder if you would be at some architecture <laughs> firm right now. These, these little moments can be quite substantial in, especially in career, but even people you meet and people you marry. 
it's really interesting how the world works like that. Yeah, I agree. I talk about them often with friends and colleagues, those sliding doors moments that land you somewhere that perhaps you didn't intend, but thankfully, thankfully you did. Yeah. And what is it that you, you said you were already in, in marketing for school, right? At that point, is that right? Yeah. And what is it about marketing that, is that something that you thought you were going to do maybe at a younger age? I'm always curious, what is when you have, uh, like, if you ask a kid what they're going to be, I asked my kid this the other day, what are you going to be when they, when you grow up? And he said a YouTuber, uh, which sounds crazy, except that it's probably, he's 10. It's probably a realistic job for him over the next 10 years that he could become that. I mean, it's like when you're, I'm sure it's like if I told my parents I wanted to be a comedian or an actor and they just probably would roll their eyes. I did say I wanted to be an actor to them at one point. I'm probably doing the same thing. Was there a reason that you were drawn to marketing? That's a really great question. And and I'm trying to rack my brain to think back to when I was a kid, what my answer to that question used to be when mum and dad asked it. And and I, and I, to gen- genuinely be honest, I can't actually remember, but what I would say is when I got into high school and, you know, you're, you're choosing subjects, uh, that it, are either going to send you down a, a maths path or a science path or perhaps English lit or something like that. None of those paths ever really spoke to me. And I always liked to dabble more in, in the creative spaces. So I, you know, I kind of did the maths and science units and English units that I had to and tried to find opportunities to be more creative. So I did art and I did speech and drama and I did those sorts of things. But to be honest with you, you know, back in the 90s when when I was at, at high school, you know, this, to your earlier point, I was never exposed to this industry. It wasn't until I got into that share house and I opened that mail that I shouldn't have opened that <laughs> I was exposed to to uh, to to this. So, I think if I look back to myself as a child and an, and an adolescent, you know, I always, I always have loved businesses. I've always loved brands. Uh, genuinely, I'm, you know, I'd call myself a consumer. I like stuff and, and I've always really had an affection for marketing communication and, and probably bluntly the advertising part of that. So I guess it was just, I don't know. I guess it was just an, an obvious meandering towards it once I got exposed to it, but I was never exposed to it in the, in the early days. But I mean, the reason that I love, that I, that I am passionate and I've never worked client side, so I'm by no means a marketer, but the reason that I am passionate about the craft of marketing is because I believe in marketing led growth for businesses. And I would call myself a, a, you know, a, a passionate evangelist for growth. And, and I, you know, I recognize the power that marketing has in driving customer acquisition and just general overarching, you know, business growth. And I think, you know, with the economy in in this in the state that it is, certainly here in Australia, I'm not sure about in North America, but you know, the the, glo- the bushfires and the global pandemic have done some fairly significant things to the economy here. And you know, I actually think it's the marketing fraternity that's going to lead us out, and that excites me. We'll be back to the episode in just a few seconds. But first, we have some exciting news for you. At Pressboard, we love stories, but we know how hard it can be to measure them. So we're here to help, whether it's a sponsored article on a news site, an Instagram post from an influencer, or a video on YouTube. Our tech measures it all. Pressboard is already trusted by Spotify, Intel, NBC Universal, Hearst, and thousands more. And here's the big news. Listeners of the podcast can try out the Pressboard platform for free. Just email info at pressboardmedia.com right now. All right, let's get back to the show. I, I agree. The economy is... Uh 
probably not much better in North America than it is in Australia. But you do see certain companies able to navigate it in different ways. And I think you've seen like e-commerce companies do fairly well. Uh, you've seen uh, ones that were ready to be online or, or were already fully online. Actually, I want to, branded content sometimes can be a bit abstract. If you're talking to someone that isn't the head of a branded content studio or like me that owns a company that builds technology for that industry, it's unclear what it is. So I, I like to always reference it through examples of what something looks like. And I, I'd love to hear, I, I know you did a, a campaign with Koala Furniture, I believe it is. And I'd love to hear more about what that idea of that campaign is. And then, as you said, like, how is it realized in the world? Yeah, sure. So the Koala campaign uh, is actually live right now. Uh, we're, we're kind of in the last phases of that campaign. And it was such, it's one of, it's, it's absolutely one of my favorite campaigns, I think, that I've ever had the pleasure of working on, notwithstanding the fact that Koala as a, as a client are, you know, incredibly ambitious. They are uh, calculated risk takers. They want to try new things. They want to go big. They want to be bold. But they're also, you know, huge advocates of diversity and inclusion. And they're just really delightful humans to work with. But uh, Koala essentially engaged, powered uh, to help them with uh, you know, their largest campaign to date. And they're still only fairly early in their stages of growth. They're, they are what you would call a, a direct-to-consumer, a DTC startup, uh, and they're only a couple of years old. So, you know, they're, they are propelling forward very, very quickly. But they wanted to embark on their largest campaign to date, and they came to us uh, with kind of, I guess, their, their, the, what the opportunity was and what the business challenge for them was and the, the kinds of things that they wanted to communicate. And essentially they wanted to... They wanted to position Koala as a business that believes that no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, no matter what life choices you make, that everybody deserves to feel at home among the gum trees and feel comfortable in Australia and in particularly in, you know, in their little world, in their house, in their bubble. So, but they wanted to go big and they wanted to do something, you know, kind of that nobody's ever done before. So we got our team of thinkers together and uh, I won't take you through all of the ideation process, but the, you know, fairly significant ideation process ensued. And where we landed was this concept of creating the most diverse and inclusive NRL team to ever strap on a pair of boots. Now, for anybody who does not know what the NRL is, uh, it is rugby league. It is a type of football here in Australia. And it's hugely popular, uh, you know, with, with fans right across the, right across the country. Now, the reason that we landed on this idea, again, is something you guys won't know, but for a long time here in Australia, there has been this rumor building that the code, the NRL code was going to embark on creating a 17th team. So there are currently only 16 teams in the league. And there's been this rumor swirling for a long time that we were, that there was going to be a 17th team, but it just hasn't quite come to pass yet. And quite, quite obviously, the pandemic this year has played a role in that. But we decided that we would, uh, in air inverted commas, create that 17th team. And that 17th team would be the most diverse and inclusive team, as I said, to ever strap on a pair of boots. They are called the Coolangatta Koalas. We cast a full team. We had, you know, everybody from the coach to the players. And they were cast using, uh, we have some former NRL players. We have some stand-up comedians. We have actors, we have all sorts of uh, high-profile Australians that are from diverse backgrounds, you know, diverse life choices, 
all of those sorts of things to just create this incredibly, incredibly unique team. So we we created a physical um, but stunt team and then we created content off the back of that. So we created content that shows the Kulangata Koalas training that is seeded out across television, digital, radio, publishing, social, of course. We created their journey to, you know, being able to play, to finding their home ground, to like all the stories that would go into the creation of a real 17th team, even though this was not a real 17th team, it was a campaign for Koala. So, you know, the, the reason that it works so well for them is because it's on strategy for their brand. It was built, it was purpose built for them. It didn't exist for anybody else. It's really uniquely ownable for them. It's the Kulangata Koalas. Uh, it's really surprising. Nobody had done it before and it's really big and noisy. And most importantly for me, it is working its footy boots off for them. Well, I just, I love the idea of creating a team because there's just so much that can live off of that. Like that idea can go forever. There can be merchandise for them. You can have fan bases for it. Like you've seen, we've even seen virtual things become realities in some way. So the, the legs on this, and I, I've seen a couple of the pieces for it, and it really uses humor a lot in what I've seen for it. And is that is that kind of humor angle of the brand also exist with Koala? Yeah, absolutely. So so there's there's a couple of things in that. Koala is a very irreverent brand. It's a little cheeky. It's a little sassy. It's very respectful, but it taps into that that great Australian humor. Australians by nature love a laugh. And, you know, we, we, I hope you don't mind me using this word, but we like to take the piss out of each other. And, you know, we're, we're, we're a pretty irreverent bunch. And so that works really, really well in this setting to be able to tap into that very Australian nature of having a giggle and having a laugh and not, not taking things too seriously at a time when really things have been pretty serious. When you can take this idea. So the difference I've always found there for a while, there was a lot of discussion around whether branded content studios with media companies, are they an agency? Are they a publisher? What box do they fit in? And I think this is a good example of where there is the creative agency element. So maybe you do work at a creative agency and you just don't know it, but you come up with this idea. But then when it get, comes to the idea, the next step, which is, okay, let's get this out to an audience, you have the ability, especially with Nine, to be able to go on linear TV and on radio and have it in print and have it online all at the same time. So it's not like an idea, a tree falls in the forest type thing, right? Like you're able to get that messaging out from there. And there's something else that's interesting is that Koala Furniture is able to have this campaign live in the world, live in Australia, without necessarily having to rebrand their entire company around it. I mean, I've been to their website. The website still sells furniture. It doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not a website for the team, but they get to create this like other, you know, view or other voice by partnering with you and having that live within your assets. Do you think this is something that will live longer than, you know, the the flight of the campaign? Is it something that they'll consider keep on going with? It's, that's a really great question and, and probably only their global CMO, P- Peter Sloterdijk, uh, can answer that question who everybody should uh, at some point find a way to connect with him because he's an extraordinary marketer. But I do, I do, it definitely has legs to be able to live on and obviously in this day and age in a, in a digitized world, content does live on just anyway. 
But I think, you know, this campaign was built with the intention that whilst it would run in a campaign window, that absolutely it could be looked to be built out and, and kind of live on beyond. But I think, you know, back to some of your earlier commentary, one of, one of the really interesting things about working with a brand like Koala, and we work with a lot of DTC startups, Koala has built to this day a very successful business on using search and social only. That's where they started. And what they realized was that they had kind of capped out in their ambitions just using search and social. And so whilst search and social remain really critically important, clearly, to a, a, a DTC and a technology-based company, they realized that in order to grow, they actually needed to, you know, Koala has to become a household name here in Australia. And there was still a huge percentage of the population that had not been exposed to Koala's brand, what it means, what their intentions are, what their ambitions are, what products you can buy. And so that's a big part of the reason why they engage an organization like Nine who is in, you know, 99% of Australian homes because of our channel mix and the 1% we're missing is probably just a rounding error. So, you know, they, they engage with us because of our scale. But then to your point, one of the great benefits of having an in-house content studio like Powered is that Powered is connected directly to the audience and the audience is Koala's customer. There isn't an intermediary, you know, that, that, that isn't direct, that's not directly connected. And so we know our audience so, uh, so deeply because of the data and analytics we have access to that it enables us to create content that's really going to speak to that audience um, and not, you know, repel them or, or push them away. And, and that's really what Koala come to us for. But when it comes to branded content studios generally, I think I, I said to you, you know, that word realising is really important um, in our philosophy of realising big ideas because whilst the koala, the Coolangatta koalas is a powered-owned concept where the idea originated, the seed originated in-house, you know, we are realising a whole pile of big ideas for creative agencies and media agencies. Like uh, I'm sure you guys are, are being exposed to the wonderful work being done by Uber Eats with their Tonight I'll Be Eating campaign. They did some extraordinary work with us in the Australian Open over the last few years, which they'll do again uh, this season as well. But that idea is uh, owned by the creative agency, The Special Group, and, uh, you know, their marketing, their, their Uber Eats marketing team, and we simply are the realiser of that big idea for them. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting with some of these brands, you're mentioning some startups and D2C companies. I, I know a few of them. I know some of the founders at some of them, and those companies tend to be quite often, maybe not engineering-led, but definitely data-led organizations. When you say that Koala was using search and social, I imagine they had that down to a science where, you know, something on Instagram would drive this much cart size, et cetera. So how do you find when you're working with a client like that, that you are showing the impact that you're having in something that might be more upper funnel than they're used to? Yeah. So it's a really wonderful question. Fortunately, in this particular example with Koala, they are believers in, you know, kind of the short versus the long of it, you know, brand building, long-term sustainable growth and those sorts of things. But when you're working with a DTC and particularly a digitized business, one of the great benefits that you have is real-time data. So we we know and Koala can see in real time every single day the impact that a piece of content that we've placed somewhere across our ecosystem is having on their search numbers on their website traffic 
you know, all of those sorts of things. So those sorts of organisations are very blessed because they can access real-time data, whereas for some brands that you can't see the immediacy of that impact, that, that does create some challenges. But I think, you know, it's, it's, it's well, um, well understood across the industry globally uh, the, the power of brand building for long-term sustainable growth. And even if you can't, in a spreadsheet, attribute, uh, attribute in real time the impact, you know, it, you, you, can, you can extrapolate out that kind of long-term growth that, that some of those channels are capable of delivering. Well, I think in some of these cases, you probably have a somewhat visionary CMO. It sounds like Peter is someone and is and the team over... Aquala is just open to the idea that it may not all fit within a spreadsheet. And there's things that maybe are harder to measure, but that are impacting the business. Is there, is there anyone else, you know, that you've, that you get inspiration from people or brands? Oh, great question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so, I mean, Peter Sloterdijk is an absolutely extraordinary marketer. And I think you're right. I think in some ways he is a visionary marketer. He funnily enough is doing the global CMO role for Koala from the US. He was intended to be living here in Australia and got stranded, uh, as part of the global pandemic. So he really took working remotely to the next level, but he, he and his team are, are quite extraordinary as is. Uh, somebody we do a lot of work with. She's now in a global role. She's not the Australian marketer anymore, but there's a woman by the name of Georgie Jeffries, who is the marketer for Uber Eats. She's now starting to make a splash in the States. Uh, and, you know, again, I would put her down as a, as a bit of a, a visionary marketer. Um, but both of those individuals, very pragmatic, very down to earth. You know, they just, they just know what works. Uh, and they've got, they've got a great balance of, you know, kind of this art and science uh, or instinct and proof. And I think that's really, really important um, for kind of the success of, of marketers and marketing generally. There's another individual who I, I, I've followed for, he won't like the, the fact that I've said followed, but I've followed for quite a while. Uh, and I've, you know, now had the pleasure of connecting with personally about six months ago. Uh, and that's Tom Goodwin. I like to refer to Tom as kind of chief curious human. I just love he inspires me with the kind of questions that he asks. He asks questions about everything, and some of those are popular questions and some of them aren't, but I think they're really important to be asked. Uh, he's the founder now of All We, ha- All we Have Is Now, uh, in New- and he's New York-based, I'm pretty sure. But he's, I think just the way his brain works really inspires me to think differently about, about things. Uh, and then here in Australia, there are some, you know, there's some amazing work being done by brands and marketers here in Australia. I feel like I'm going to leave somebody out if I name everybody, but, you know, there's some incredible things um, happening, you know, with with uh, individuals like Mim Haysom, for example, who's the CMO of Suncorp, which is one of our banks and insurers here in, in Australia. She does incredible work and is really driving that business forward. But there's too many to list, to be honest with you, but but certainly I... You know, I always try to find, try to find, uh, myself exposed to just different trains of thought and different views and perspectives so that I don't live in an echo chamber of kind of sameness. Um, and there certainly is a lot of that, uh, a lot of that here in Australia. Well, that's the, that's the danger, right? Is that you caught in people that just think the exact same ideas as you. I, I know Tom a bit. Uh, we've grabbed dinner a couple times in New York and it's, it's really interesting. The difference in Tom when you sit down for a couple hours versus the Tom that's in a tweet, because he can be a 
polarizing social media person. Like he would, you know, he can be a contrarian. He can ask a lot of questions that aren't normally asked or make statements that most people may not. And I mean, it's, it hasn't been easy for him to be that person either, right? It's affected, you know, how he, I imagine how he lives on social media and also, his, you know, what his career has to look like. But yeah, I think if you get the opportunity to sit down with some of these people, Peter, Georgie, Tom, like all these people that you've named and yourself as well, I think that you would have just a, a more depth. This is what I love about podcasts is that you get a lot more than a tweet. You, you understand somebody and what drives them more than you can capture in a quote. Uh, and I think that's probably good advice for everybody is if you can listen to some of the people that are asking the questions that aren't normally asked, you'll probably find a, an opinion yourself. You, it challenges you to think outside of what you've been used to doing for the last you know, several years uh, as well. So I think that's really interesting. I hope that we, uh, one of the reasons I, I did want to talk to you is because I do find that even though this, there's this global marketing and advertising and media world, there are still pretty significant divides between how different countries operate, what the media businesses look like. And more than anything, the more that we're able to share different ideas and different campaigns, probably the better we we're all going to get. And that's why I appreciate having you on this. And I'm interested to learn more about how how these Australia-specific campaigns translate really, really well. There's no reason why that same idea can't... I mean, we're probably not going to have a NRL, 17th NRL team in North America. But the idea of creating, uh, you know, a new entity that people can rally around that's supported by a brand is a really interesting concept that lives through that. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe that's something we should look to organize together is to get a, you know, get a get a group of, of people together that are really interested to share and to showcase difference uh, and to sh- also share, I think, what's really important is not only what works, but what doesn't. Because we all know you, you, you often learn more from the thing that didn't work than the thing that did. And I think, you know, so I don't know what it's like in North America, but certainly here in Australia, there is a, there is a little fear from, from people, you know, sharing those failures. And, and, you know, I guess nobody wants to be chalked up as a, as a failure is, is why that is. Um, and it's a, you know, incredibly competitive landscape. So if you admit that something didn't work, then possibly you don't get to do that work again. But I, I think, you know, if, if we can start to explore honestly the things that do work, their, their booties off and the things that don't, I, I think we all get, we all get better. And isn't that what everybody wants to do? Well, maybe what we've just started here is like a, a global, you'll be spearheading. We're announcing it here today. Liana will be spearheading a global connection of shared ideas. Uh, Tom, if you're listening, you'll be a part of it. <laughs> Georgie, I think we've already got the base group together. So we'll just start with that. Before I let you go, uh, we do a book club at Pressboard. And I'm curious if there is a book and I'd love it if it could be Maybe something more Australia specific. Yeah. Not to put you on the spot, but if you have a, a favorite book that has inspired you or that you just love reading. So great question. So here's a, here's a little secret for you. I'm not a huge reader. Fortunately, I am I, I am prepared to answer this question, but I'm not a huge reader and I never was as a kid. But there is a book that I recently got through, which is very Australian. It's written by uh, Adam Ferrier. 
who is the CEO and founder of a creative agency called Thinkabell. And the book, if I get it right, it has a pink cover and his face on the front of it. Uh, and it says, the title of it is Stop, Stop Listening to Your Customer and Start Listening to Your Brand. And it's a really fascinating read, particularly if, you know, if anybody kind of listening to this podcast subscribes to the theory that the customer is always right. Uh, there is, there's some really interesting takeouts in it. So that would be my hot tip. Uh, Adam Ferrier's stop listening to your customer and start listening to your brand. Love it. That's great. Well, I want to thank you for, it's a day later than where I am. I love that. I, I know it's an old joke, but I text my sister. I'm like, how's tomorrow? I think it's hilarious. She doesn't think it's as funny about the 10th time I've done it. I really appreciate having you on the show. And it's amazing to have for our 25th episode, someone from about as far away as you can get from Vancouver, Canada. It's been my absolute pleasure. I've loved talking to you. I could have stayed here and talked all day. But as you rightly point out, it's Friday here in Australia and I'm going to ease myself into the weekend and uh, and start relaxing at some point. Well, you enjoy your Friday. Thanks so much for being on the show, Liana. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning into the Science of Storytelling. Don't forget to leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. We have a ton more episodes coming up this season with some absolutely amazing guests. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single one. See you next time.